Hello and welcome to the Burt's Books Podcast. This is episode 24. 24 weeks in a row I have been uh, wanging on about books and it feels like uh, I've been saying every week that it's been a really busy week. However, this week has been a really busy week. It is or was Independent Bookshop Week and it has resulted in the highest ever number of orders on Bert's books and that is partly to do with the fact that I was giving away fivers. Um, so National Book Tokens gave uh, gave a lot of indies actually, or all indies, a booklet of £5 book tokens which I've been giving away with uh, every order that gets placed this week. I still have some of them left and I'm sure I've put more than 100 so I'm wondering if there were slightly more than 100 in the book. Uh, if that's the case then that's great uh, but I've still got some to dispatch so I might find that I haven't accounted for them all yet either. Uh, but other than that as well obviously I uh, was sending out so a lot of those orders came last Saturday and, and a bit on Sunday so Monday arrived, uh, Tuesday arrived and a lot of books uh, arrived in my flat so I spent most of Thursday packing them up and sending them out and that's because on Wednesday I was taking part in a conversation on Instagram live with uh, at words of colour and uh, Dr Anamik Shah uh, about a new report which is investigating diversity in publishing. I will talk about that in a bit more detail very very soon plus uh, I've also read three books which I will tell you about recorded a new episode of Shelf Life featuring the Guardian columnist Rick Samada and a round of the Page Master quiz let's just get on with it So I mentioned in the intro about the Instagram live that I did on Wednesday and it was with Dr Onamik Sahar and he is one of the authors of a new report out called Rethinking Diversity in Publishing. Now I know what you're thinking, you're sitting there at home, you're a reader, you're listening to a podcast from a bookseller, what has this got to do with me? Well actually it's not just diversity in publishing, it's diversity in book selling as well because as some of the uh, respondents said and as some of the interviewees said booksellers are the gatekeepers we've talked for a long time about agents being the gatekeepers of the publishing industry however agents will only take what they can sell into publishers publishers will only publish what they can sell into booksellers and booksellers will only buy books that they can sell to the public so it becomes a sort of vicious circle that if uh, you guys only buy white books by white authors. I will only buy you know, sell books by white authors, which means the publishers will only publish books by white authors, which means the agents will only represent authors who are white. Uh, and it just keeps on going. Whereas actually, there's a lot of conversation about uh, the audience that we're talking to and um, that the, the audiences that we're not talking to. And during the whole conversation, I... I realised that I was making excuses. I was explaining why I thought the world was like it was. Essentially, I was white-splaining. If that hasn't been used before, I've just coined that phrase. And 
oh yeah, I was just making excuses. You know, people didn't have the time. Booksellers are trying to make money. They, you know, they wake up in the morning and life isn't easy. They aren't getting up and saying, right, well, I'll just uh, go and read this book now and then uh, sell it to 200 people. It doesn't quite work like that. I'm lucky if I read a book that I talk about and five people want to buy it. So I, I'm sort of waking up wanting to make money and I'm trying to make money in the easiest way and the easiest way is to talk to the audience that I already know and actually that is just pathetic. I could make as much money by finding other audiences and I could put my energy into that and that is what we need to do. Uh, it's just as simple as that. I'm going to talk a bit more about that with the next book that I read this week, or the first book that I read this week. Uh, but the n next bit of news, the second bit of news that I wanted to talk about, uh, was something that is, which is something that is very exciting, and that is that Matt Cain, author of The Madonna of Bolton, one of the bundle choices uh, last year in the paperback bundle, uh, has been signed by Headline. Headline are uh, uh, one of the publishers, and actually, um, they publish some of my favourite authors. They published Patrick Gale in the past. They published Dorothy Coombson. Lots and lots of other authors have been published by them as well over the years, and they are doing a brilliant job. This one is the Secret Life of Albert Entwistle. It's about a gay man in his sixties who's searching for the man he loved and lost many years before. We're going to have to wait a little while. It comes out in May 2021. I stopped myself uh, just before in the news section from going too much further into detail about the Rethinking Diversity in Publishing report and my own feelings about it, partly because I wanted to talk about it here. The book, one of the books that I read this week was Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. Let me read you the blurb. Every voice raised against racism chips away at its power. We can't afford to stay silent. This book is an attempt to speak. The book that sparked a national conversation. Exploring everything from eradicated black history to the inextricable link between class and race. Why I'm no longer talking to white people about race is the essential handbook for anyone who wants to understand race relations in Britain today. So this was actually first published in 2017. Uh, the author notes in a new chapter in this that it actually came out just weeks before the tragedy of Grenfell Tower. I'll come back to that in a, in a second. It talks about the history of, in fact, well, it's divided into a few different chapters. One uh, perhaps the longest chapter in here talks about the histories um, of uh, race in in the UK and it's something I've talked about before on this podcast either through books like Superior or even just uh, looking at Empire in uh, You Will Be Safe Here, the Damien Barr fiction novel. Um, but what Rene... Edo Lodge does is talk about the facts and she, she explores stuff that I didn't know about um, that I'm sure lots of us didn't know about because it's just not taught in our schools about the history of 
black people in this country. Um, just even we, we we know about the Windrush generation, which only really happened which happened in the fifties. So you know that's not not that's not it's not old history. It's not ancient history, but it wasn't really something that I knew about. Uh, and I'm you know I'm thirty. I was I was born thirty years after the Windrush generation arrived. So they were the adults who were there when I was growing up. But it wasn't something I knew about. It wasn't something that was taught. Uh, for me, they people were always there. They were always black people. Um, but this talks about how that generation arrived. It also talks about how the reactions to them arriving. But it also talks about how actually there were people of colour here before. There were... Uh, other people, you know, it happened after the First World War as well. But but before that, it talks about the slavery. It talks about the, the black people that were owned by their fathers. They were owned because their fathers had raped their mothers. Uh, because they were working on a plantation out in, in Jamaica and then brought over here to be the son. Uh, and it's just so heartbreaking, some of this stuff. Anyway, so... There's the histories chapter. There, there is also the system. It talks about systematic racism, and then it talks about what is white privilege and uh, fears of living on a black planet. So this is about. There's two things here. There's there's one in in that there is a secular society that fears the erosion of whiteness. Uh, that if we let it happen white people will be a minority in this country by the year 2066 i sort of don't believe that i feel like 2066 has been just used as a a, a, an excuse not an excuse a a a flashpoint because it it has those connotations to 1066 which is the last time that the uk was and i'm putting this in air quotes invaded uh, or conquered and, and these people are saying 2066 because it reminds people of 1066 and it, it connects this erosion of whiteness to being conquered. And that's just pure nonsense. Um, if it happens, if, if, if white British becomes a minority, it's because we have as a country either opened our doors and allowed more people in which is great, you know, these people need somewhere to live, and I'm all for, you know, Britain is not overcrowded at all, it is not overcrowded, a lot of people will tell you that, it is not overcrowded, it is just not got the infrastructure, it's understructured, that is what the biggest problem with the country is. Um, But also it will mean that, you know, it's, it's just maybe white people and black people are are falling in love and then they're having mixed race people and there's a section in here about a mixed race person who she doesn't feel white she feels black because when she walks out on the street people don't look at her and think oh she's half white and half black people look at her and go oh she's half black and they just see black and they just see a different shade of black that's all it is so she doesn't feel white but that is maybe what they're worried about. I don't, I just don't know what these people are worried about. And I'm 
I feel like I'm babbling here. Um, but so there's the, the fear of black planet, but what is white privilege? That is the key thing in this book because we are systematically set up in this country to benefit white people. That is the truth. Um, you know, it's just everything is easier for white people. Everything's easier for, for white straight men. Middle class straight white men. They, they are, everything's just easier for them. And as a probably middle class white gay man, things are pretty easy for me too. Um, they're not... But what I can see is in this book, and I can, I can see it myself as I'm reading it. I'm thinking, I'm reading something and going, oh, no, I think the author's got it wrong. And then I associate it with how it, I would feel, how I would vision it as a gay man. And if, if, this, if this wasn't talking about race, but she was talking about sexuality. And then I think, oh, no, actually, she's got it right. She's got it spot on. And so this book will help people, help white people realise what, where their life is easier for just being white. Uh, but I think you have to be prepared to have that conversation with yourself and you have to be prepared to really evaluate what you read and what you think and maybe change your mind. There's an excellent piece in here where, um, which I think I was probably guilty of, even though I was sort of consciously aware, I've always been slightly wary of box ticking. You know, um, let's let's hire half the board of uh, of a company to be women or black or gay. I've always been slightly wary of that because I feel like uh, a it should absolutely be the best people, regardless. But also b it feels racist. <laughs> it feels it felt racist against white people and also to black people why should you be given a job just for the colour of your skin I don't feel like a black person would walk in maybe I'm wrong as a gay man I wouldn't want to be given a job just because I was gay unless that job was like gay porn star or something where it's a sort of overriding qualification that's required but what this book does is really help you understand that racism is prejudice plus power. So black people can be prejudiced. Anyone can be prejudiced. You can just not like somebody for a shallow, trivial reason. Anyone can do that. But where racism comes in, where any kind of hate crime comes in really, is that prejudice plus power. And white people have power. So any prejudices that you hold as a white person automatically will make you racist if you act on them. Uh, and actually, even if you think them, you have to really evaluate why you think that. And the reason why, even if you think about it, because it will colour the way that you live and respond to things. And because of the power that you have as a white person, you are adding to the systematic racism that exists in this country. I've not long finished it, and I'm still having a 
think some, thinking about it, and I've been thinking about the conversation that I had on Wednesday and how whilst I was talking about it and listening to Valerie from Jacaranda in her conversations afterwards, I, I was thinking about how I hadn't really clocked. I, you know, I would always said I'm not a racist person, and I'm, I'm not, or at least I don't want to be. But I don't feel like you can be neutral in this conversation anymore. I haven't been actively trying to break down those barriers. And as a white person, as I mentioned earlier, I have power. So I need to use that power to have the difficult conversations. And if somebody says something that I think is racist, I need to step up and talk about it and call them out on it. I can't just sit back and say it's not my fight anymore because it's all of our fight. Interestingly, as I said at the beginning, this was published in 2017. There's a chapter in here called Aftermath about Grenfell Tower and how when Edo Lodge had first started writing this book uh, back in 2014, uh, she was wanting to help change the conversation and it was published at a point where actually people suddenly wanted to start talking about the conversation they wanted to know how this disaster this tragedy could have happened how did we let it happen now three years on with all that's going on in the world it's hit a new moment and I think the moment it's hit is mainstream white people are suddenly realising, like me, that there's something that they should be doing about this. It sold really well um, when it came out. It had lots of um, critical acclaim. It sold, like I say, it sold really well. But now it's hit it, it's hit number one and with sales figures that are akin to the the day a new well the day a new hillary mantel comes out or a new david williams it's not just number one it's number one on over twice the number of sales it's huge and i think it goes back to the conversation i had on wednesday which is about finding new audiences. I don't think this is selling to a new audience. I think this is finally selling to the existing audience of white, middle-class, female, because ultimately that's what book buying in this country is. We need to get it out further. We need to get more white people, specifically men, reading this. More upper-class people need to read it and understand what they can do. Um, and I'm going to have a think about what else I can do. Because it's, it, this, this can't be it. There has to be more out there. Um, that, that feels like I've been on my soapbox a bit, but... It, this book's kind of made me angry, angry at myself a bit and at other people. Um, yeah. Why I'm no longer talking to white people about race.
by Rennie Edo Lodge. It's going to make me talk to white people about race. Last week, I asked you to tell me who your favourite Little Miss character was, the uh, series from Roger Hargreaves. A bit like when we found out that Mr Tickle was the best Mr Man, this demands a tournament. And as we speak, we have released 36 of the Little Miss characters down to 18. And it looks like the semi-finals will be between Little Misses, Naughty, Fun, Chatterbox, Stubborn, Sunshine and Trouble. So that will uh, kick off on Twitter uh, today, as you're listening to this, if you're listening to it on the day that it comes out, 28th of June, Sunday, uh, with the final being on Monday, the 29th of June. And if I was to place money on it, I would say that I think Little Miss Chatterbox uh, versus Little Miss Sunshine will be the final, and I suspect that Miss Chatterbox will win. Now, as I mentioned Earlier, um, and as I rambled on about in the last review, I've been thinking about the Black Lives Matter movement and what more I can do to help to, yeah, how I can use my platform, however big it is, however small it is, to help. And I think that one thing is clear and that, A, we need to, to find... A new, bookshops need to find a way to make themselves talk to more audiences. But the existing audience needs to find and celebrate more books by black writers. So that is it. That is the question. What's your favourite book by a black writer? Let me know uh, on Twitter uh, at Burt's Books or email me Burt at Burt'sBooks.co.uk <laughs> This week I read The Truants by Kate Weinberg. It's a book about Jess Walker, middle child of a middle class family. She's perfected the art of vanishing in plain sight, but when she arrives at a concrete university campus under flat grey East Anglian skies, her world flares with colour. Drawn into a tightly knit group of rule breakers, led by their maverick teacher Lorna Clay, Jess begins to experiment with a new version of herself. But the dynamic between the friends begins to darken as they share secrets, lovers, and finally a tragedy. Soon, Jess is thrown up against the question she fears most. What is the true cost of an extraordinary life? This book, for me, is a little bit like normal people, in the sense that it's a bit of a coming-of-age story. It's... um, but it's middle-class people wagging on about um, things that don't really hugely matter much in, in the in the grand scheme of things. Uh, Jess Walker is fairly... You know, she's, she decides to go to university at Christmas and to go to a specific university because she wants Lorna Clay to be her um, lecturer. And by the, by the, by the autumn, she's there. So she doesn't experience problems uh, getting what she wants. And she gets a new best friend. She easily ends up with a boyfriend, Nick. And yet she's quietly enamoured with Alec, uh, who is her best friend's boyfriend. And the four of them end up living this sort of charmed life over the following two terms, where they sort of 
are the cool kids on campus. Um, and they're really quite annoying. In the same way that the people in Normal People are quite annoying. Because their problems are just whatever. Don't care. But then it all comes out. And it comes out much earlier than I thought it was going to be. That Jess is drawn to Alec. And things become a bit more complicated. And actually perhaps it becomes more about the relationship between Jess and Lorna, their lecturer. And it's very formative. These are definitely the formative, Jess's formative years. And they change her, or formative year in fact. The events that take place. um, And sort of the last part of the book with Jess and Lorna. The uh, relationship between them is truly fascinating. I really ended up enjoying it, and and even though the first part, you know, I, I was sort of a bit rolling my eyes at the characters, it was still very well written. I think we were supposed to not really like them much. I don't know. Maybe maybe the author thinks we've, maybe the author was truly in love with these characters and wanted us to be in love with them. I wasn't. Uh, but I was in love with that relationship between Jess and Lorna, and I think that it worked really, really well. I liked the trip to the island that we see them take, uh, and how their relationship sort of develops on that island, and then the future of Jess, um, and how she grows up, essentially. Um... Yeah, I don't think I really got much more to say on that book. Uh, it didn't quite go where I thought it was going to go, um, which is with quite nice in a book. Um, yeah. The Truants by Kate Weinberg. It's out now. My guest this week on the Page Master Quiz is Kat. Hello, Kat. Welcome. Uh, tell us a bit about yourself, where you are and, and what you do. Hi, um, thank you for having me. Um, I, I live in Southampton. Um, I'm originally from Romania and I'm a language teacher. Oh, and uh, are you a big reader? Yes, I love my books. Um, I've studied English at university as well. So. Oh, brilliant. So uh, hopefully we're looking for a high score here. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what will happen is you will get 10 questions. Each question is worth one point and five seconds in the final round. The final round, you will get a choice of two categories and you'll be asked to name as many books, authors or characters that apply to that category as you can. You okay. do get a Burt's Books pin badge just for taking part. But if you are in the top six of the leaderboard by December, you will be in the running to win £100 worth of books. So we'll, okay. have, a, we'll have a little bit of a, a playoff tournament in December. Perfect. So if you are ready, then we'll just get straight on with the questions. Yep. Okay. Question one. Jim Kay is the illustrator of which series of books? I don't know. I don't read any anything illustrated. He is currently illustrating the Harry Potter books. Yeah, I've just read the first three in Spanish several times, but <laughs> I haven't read all of them yet. Uh, question two. Which author changed her name to Bella Ellis to write The Vanished Bride? Sorry, can you repeat that? 
which author changed her name to Bella Ellis to write The Vanished Bride? Uh, Bronte, one of the Bronte sisters? It's, that's a, a very good guess. It's Rowan Coleman, um, but she's writing The Vanished Bride is a book about the Bronte sisters. So it's a very good guess. Question three. What is the sequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Um, no, I don't know. It's Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. Okay. Question four. Who writes the Roy Grace series of crime novels? James? Peter James? Peter James, yes, is the correct answer. Well done. Question five. Which Spice Girl wrote the Eugenia Lavender series of children's books? Um, Jerry, Jerry, I don't remember her other name. Yeah, you, you said it. Gary Halliwell is the correct answer. Okay. Um, question six. Moab is my washpot is the first biography from which comedian? Mm, I don't know. And the answer is Stephen Fry. Question yeah, seven. <laughs> question seven. Little Miss Chatterbox has blonde hair. But what colour is her body? Sorry, who? Little Miss Chatterbox. Pink? She is pink. Question eight. Which first name links the surnames Tice, Evans and Muncaster? I don't know. They're all Harriet. Question nine. The annual publication, often shortened to just Wisdoms, is an almanac for which sport? Could you repeat that, please? Yeah. The annual publication, often shortened to just Wisdoms, is an almanac for which sport? I know nothing about sports. I'll go with rugby. I'm afraid it's cricket. Oh yeah, no, I never watch cricket, ever. <laughs> question 10, your final question is the guess the year question. Which year saw the publication of The White Queen by Philippa Gregory, The Help by Catherine Stockett, and the and Hetty Feather by Jacqueline Wilson? Oh, I've read those books as well. Um, 2010? Oh, very close. You were one year out. Um, The answer is 2009. So you managed to get uh, three questions right out of ten. That's pretty good. uh, The position six on the leaderboard at the moment is free, so you are equal six at least. Um, But it gives you 15 seconds in the final round. So what I will do is I'm going to pick two of these envelopes at random 
and on the front of each one is the initials of what's inside. So you can have okay. MW or FW. What do you think they might be and what are you sort of hoping for? No, I have writers is initials. Okay. Uh, let's go with MW. You've chosen MW, so you have 15 seconds from the second I stop speaking to name as many male writers as you can. Okay. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Um, so Shakespeare, um, oh, this is terrible. Um, I'm completely stuck. Uh, Wil Wilbur Smith. Um, oh, that was terrible. I didn't even like the time had started either. That's all right. I gave you a couple of extra seconds at the end because of that. Um, so you got two writers there, William Shakespeare and Wilbur Smith. It, it, it just goes to show that the pressure can get to you. I know. Like, I just had Peter James earlier. <laughs> So uh, that gives you five points in total. Uh, it does put you on the leaderboard. So um, hopefully we'll see you again in December. Uh, in the meantime, I will send you your Burt's Books pin badge. And uh, thank you for taking Thank you. Thank you. Bye. So Kat gets five points and that puts her in six place on the leaderboard if she can stay there until december she will be in the running for a hundred pounds worth of books if she can win the final end of year tournament if you think you can do better than five points then do get in touch i am on bert at bertsbooks.co.uk and uh, hopefully the questions will go your way the final book I'm going to talk to you about this week is called Life and Other Happy Endings by Melanie Cantor. Here is the blurb. Three letters, two mistakes, one last chance. When Jennifer Cole is told she has three months to live, she decides to write three letters sharing the desires, fears and frustrations she has always kept to herself. And at first, she finds that telling the truth makes her feel free and liberated. But three months later, Jennifer's secrets are alive and out in the world. And so is she. As she discovers, sometimes the truth has a way of surprising you. Unlike the truants, uh, this book didn't surprise me. There were, <coughs> there were no bits of it that I didn't really see coming. But that's okay. That's... Um, <coughs> In some books, that is exactly what you want. You don't want the rug pulled out from you with an unexpected twist at the end. Um, and sometimes it's just about the journey uh, of them getting there. So so the three letters that Jennifer writes, uh, one to her ex-husband um, she and, and his wife, um, she tells them how she felt about the uh, way that their marriage ended um how he cheated on her and how elizabeth the um the new wife um the one he cheated on her with uh how basically elizabeth sort of turned on jennifer and made it jennifer's fault and how sort of betrayed the sisterhood um 
The second letter that Kenneth writes is to her sister, Isabel. They didn't really get on as children. Uh, Isabel stole uh, Jennifer's um, boyfriend one year. Uh, her first boyfriend. And, um, yeah, they kind of never really get on. And so Jennifer writes to her and tells her how she feels about that. And then finally there's Harry. Harry is the one that got away. She met him after her, her marriage collapsed. And she didn't fight for him. Uh, he got an, he he started becoming friendly with a woman Melissa and um, the, their relationship broke down because Jennifer was very wary of of that relationship that friendship and didn't fight for him that she she puts that out there herself and she writes to him and then Harry is the first one to get back in touch and. Her life starts to become better. She starts making these amends with people and she's suddenly more confident in in herself. You know, she'll say what she wants. Um, you know, the blurb says it makes her feel free and liberated. But what she finds is that when she tells somebody something, you know, don't do that, I don't like that. They respond as an adult and say, oh, okay, I won't do that, you don't like that. Uh, whereas I think sometimes as as people, we can bottle things up and somebody will do something that, that we don't like. You know, um, really bad examples is you, you might call somebody by their name, but uh, pronounce it wrong. So there was a woman I used to work with, Karen, her name was, um, and um, she, you know, people called her Karen um, because that's how it's spelt, but she preferred to be it pronounced Karen, and she would quite happily tell people, no, you, you've pronounced my name wrong, it's Karen. And a few people were like, ooh, okay. But I had a huge respect for her because that wasn't what she was called, it wasn't what she liked to be called, so she told people. And the way it puts it in this book is that the people who then take offence at your offence are the people that you shouldn't really have in your life anyway. So... Yeah, they just. It was a really interesting book. It was a really easy read, fun read. It was, you know, it didn't lead me to have lots of heavy thoughts about anything, which is quite good, really, because I'm having lots of heavy thoughts about other things, as this podcast has already proved. So, uh, yeah, I just had a, a fun read and um, I really enjoyed it. So, it is called Life and Other Happy Endings. It was by Melanie Cantor and it's out now it's time for the chart and excitingly now that all the shops have opened up again sales numbers are back we've got volume numbers so we can see how well everything is selling in relation to everything else and what's really interesting is that last week was the biggest sales week of the year um, so far bar one uh, and that one is the week that uh, Hilary Mantel's new book came out. So um, that's really encouraging because basically sales were back at the level they were at earlier in the year. And in fact, above. Um, hopefully it means that bookshops will continue to... Will, that this was all just a blip and that everything will return to normal. 
Um, but let's just get on with the charts. There are four new releases to tell you about, two of which have got quite long blurbs, so bear with me. Um, and they are the first two that I'm going to tell you about. Uh, I'll leave it up to you to decide, but I've always thought that something with an overly long blurb probably is either a bit too complicated or not very good. But that's um, not for me to say, because I haven't read any of these. Uh, so the first one up is The Guardian by John Grisham. He was framed for murder. Now he needs a miracle. 22 years ago, Quincy Miller was sentenced to life without parole. He was accused of killing Keith Russo, a lawyer in a small Florida town. But there were no reliable witnesses and little motive. Just the fact that Russo had botched Quincy's divorce case that Quincy was black in a largely all-white town, and that a blood-splattered torch was found in the boot of Quincy's car. A torch, he swore, was planted. A torch that was conveniently destroyed in a fire just before his trial. The lack of evidence made no difference to judge or jury. In the eyes of the law, Quincy was guilty, and no matter how often he protested his innocence, his punishment was life in prison. Finally, after 22 years, comes Quincy's one and only chance of freedom. An innocence lawyer and minister, Cullen Post, takes on his case. Post has exonerated eight men in the last ten years, and he intends to make Quincy the next. But there were powerful and ruthless people behind Rousseau's murder. They prefer that an innocent man dies in jail rather than one of them. There's one way to guarantee that. They killed one lawyer 22 years ago, and they'll kill another without a second thought. The next new release uh, is, or new entry rather, is The Fear Bubble by Ant Middleton. Without fear, there's no challenge. Without challenge, there's no growth. Without growth, there's no life. Ant Middleton is no stranger to fear. As a point man in the special forces, he confronted fear on a daily basis, never knowing what lay behind the next corner or the next closed door. In prison, he was thrust into the unknown, cut off from friends and family, isolated with thoughts of failure and dread for his future. And at the top of Everest, in desperate, life-threatening conditions, he was forced to face up to his greatest fear of leaving his wife and children without a husband and father. But fear is not his enemy. It is the energy that propels him. Thanks to the revolutionary concept of the fear bubble, Ant has learned to harness the power of fear and understands the positive force that it can become. Fear gives Ant his edge, allowing him to seek out life's challenges, whether that is at home, pushing himself every day to be the best father he can be, or stuck in the death zone on top of the world in a 90 mile an hour blizzard. In his groundbreaking new book, Ant Middleton thrillingly retells the story of his death-defying climb of Everest and reveals the concept of the fear bubble, showing how it can be used in our lives to help us break through our limits. Next, it's Criss Cross by James Patterson. It's been four weeks since we had a new James Patterson in the top ten, so it must be time for another one. Could a ghost from his past take everything away from Alex Cross? Mere hours after witnessing the execution of a killer he helped put behind bars, Alex Cross is called to the scene of a copycat murder. A note signed M rests on the corpse. You messed up big time, Dr Cross. Was an innocent man just put to death? As the executed convict's family launch a vicious campaign against Cross, his abilities as a detective are called into question. The enigmatic M lures Cross out of Washington DC to the sites of multiple homicides, all marked with distressingly familiar details that conjure up decades-old cases and Cross family secrets. 
Details that make it clear M is after a price so dear that, were the killer to attain it, Cross's life would be destroyed. West Wind by Ian Rankin is the fourth new entry to tell you about this week, and this has been described as the lost thriller. I don't know if that means it's never been published, or was published a very long time ago and nobody bought it, but here's what it's about. It always starts with a small lie. That's how you stop noticing the bigger ones. After his friend suspects something strange going on at the satellite facility where they both work, and then goes missing, Martin Hepton doesn't believe the official line of long-term sick leave. Refusing to stop asking questions, he leaves his old life behind, aware that someone is shadowing his every move. But why? The only hope he has is his ex-girlfriend, Lil Watson, the only journalist who will believe his story. But neither of them can believe the puzzle they're piecing together, or just how shocking the secret is that everybody wants to stay hidden. So will one of those four new entries make it to the top of the chart, or will Why I'm No Talking About Race stay in the top spot? There is, as ever, only one way to find out, and that is by using data sourced from Nielsen Bookscan's Total Consumer Market Panel Chart. At 10 this week, down two places, is Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. New in at 9, it's the 27th Alex Cross thriller, Criss Cross by James Patterson. Also new in at 8, it's West Wind from Ian Rankin, while Ant Middleton enters the top 10 at 7 with The Fear Bubble. Down 3 to 6 is The Country Bride by Dilly Court, and Natives by Akala is down 1 at 5. This week's highest new entry is The Guardians by John Grisham at 4, and up 3 places to 3 is Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Everisto. And it is no move in the top two, with Charlie Maxey's The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse at two, and a second week at number one for Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by Rennie Edo Lodge. It was a good week for commercial fiction this week, thanks to the reopening of the high street in the run-up to Father's Day. But this week, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's been Independent Booksellers Week. And I just know that you have all been visiting them and buying from them. So we could see a bit of a shake-up next week. However, I strongly suspect that why I'm no longer talking to white people about race will still be at number one. But what else will make its way into the top 10. There is only one way to find out, and that is by coming back here next week. Well, that is everything for this week. Thank you for listening to me waffle on. Do check out birthbooks.co.uk if you need a new book. Uh, In the meantime, as ever, please do get in touch. Let me know about anything book related, what you're reading, what you think you should be reading, what you think I should be reading. Um, Yeah, just just do get in touch. I love hearing from you. So get in touch on social media at Burt's Books or via email Burt at Burt'sBooks.co.uk. And of course, those are the places you go if you want to take part in next week's Page Master quiz and see if you can make it onto that leaderboard. I have just had five boxes of books turn up, which can mean only one thing. It must be nearly bundle day. Find out what are in the bundles this time next week. See you then.